0: This is the WUNC Youth Podcast. I'm Kamaya Truett Martin. When I first connected to WUNC, I was a junior at Northern High School. These two guys, Kane Smigo and Will McInerney, were leading an after-school workshop called Poetic Justice.
1: It is Lenore and the feathered flapping of long lashes fanning a five-year-old's face. Little Lenore can't feel the sofa stain lifts of Lucifer on her forehead, but her fingers are flirting with death, tapping on your chamber door on the side. Of a 38 revolver, it was the sergeant's favorite sidearm before. His precinct switched to me off. I'm the only one in here. With five empty chambers beside me, I've been hiding. Hoping no one finds me, but sergeant's daughter's got that feline curiosity, so I pray death don't find her today. Cause even they the Grim and Reaper takes lunch breaks, but this time, he left his sickle behind.
0: They ran a group called Sacrificial Poets and were helping WNC recruit young people interested in telling stories on the radio. Now, I listened to NPR before. Fresh Air is a favorite of me and my mom, but I only really use poetry to tell my story. The summer I spent as a youth reporter, I did interviews and went out in the field for a story about gang-like groups. People around here call them cliques. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I... That's how we know. alert one of the homies out here, so that's how we find out where everybody at. We got and be like, yeah, you know how to trace songs, do that, yeah. So we do it out loud, and somebody responds, be like, oh, that's it's Like we done done it so much to the point where we know everybody's voice. So we're like, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's Breeze over there. Oh, that's Tomato over there. That go John Lil, or whoever.
0: There's poetry in that story. It may not sound like what I like to perform or hear at slams and open mics, but it's in there. Joining us to explore the connections between performance poetry and radio journalism is Al Letson. He's currently the host of an investigative journalism show called Reveal. Public radio listeners may know him for his work on a show called State of the Reunion. He's also an accomplished poet and performer. Thank you for joining us, Al.
2: Hey, thank you for having me.
0: So for you, what is the connection between journalism and poetry?
2: Well, I think that... uh both of them are forms of storytelling. Uh, I think that um, the best uh, spoken word and performance poetry uh, is usually like people telling stories about their lives or, or what they see uh, in the world today. And I think that journalism does the exact same thing.
0: Right. So there seems to be like this duality as a poet and then also as a reporter where you have to put your biasness to the background, but then also, you know, as a poet, you have to be emotional and talk from your own interpretation. Do you think you have a certain role um to tell these stories that aren't being told because they're putting out stories to distract us?
2: Yeah, I mean I think that it's important like we, we live in a day and an age. We live in a day and age where, where all of us need to be saying our stories out loud, um, because what's happening is is that we are are more connected than ever with less connection you know it's like you know you can go on facebook and feel like you're connected with people but not really actually have a conversation with people um so i think that like in this day and age that we're in now like telling your story is the most powerful thing you can do um and i think that that's the job of the poet is to speak the truth about their lives and the lives of the people around them that they see um but it's a really personal thing i think uh when you're doing journalism um, it's about taking your interests, finding stories that, um, that line up with your interests is going to keep you interested. Um, but, but stepping out of the way and allowing that story to have its spotlight without you necessarily being the driver of the story.
0: Hmm. I can dig that. So the program you're hosting now is a show called Revealed that specializes in investigative journalism. How's this different from what you've done in the past and what we hear on the radio?
2: Sure. So, you know, with State of the Reunion we weren't doing investigative journalism. We were doing we were definitely doing journalism, but, you know, investigative journalism um you're you're looking for sources, you're doing a lot of uh data digging, um you're tracking people down. Uh what we were doing before with State of the Reunion was much more uh community-based. Uh and there was some investigative reporting skills that was necessary for the show, but not to the level of what we do at Reveal. Um And so, and to do the type of work we do, we have to have a pretty, pretty good bench strength. So we have like, um, um, I don't know, probably 20 reporters at work here, um, on top of the 10 uh, radio producers and editors that work on the radio show as well. Uh, so that's a pretty big staff. Whereas like what I was doing with state of the reunion was a lot smaller and, and really like we were focusing on communities, uh, and we weren't looking to, uh, do big exposés on a certain industry. We were more looking at like telling the story of a, of a city or a town.
3: Hmm.
0: So on your show reveal, I think I saw a interview that you had with, um, white supremacists or racist and I just wanted to know what went into that, and how were you able to put your own sentiments in the background in order to get the good story?
2: Yeah, so interviewing Richard Spencer, um, you know, I'm a African-American man that grew up in the South, um, and so Richard Spencer wasn't new to me. Uh, I, I've seen and talked to many people like Richard Spencer in the past. Um, I think that their... Um, their point of view is morally reprehensible and uh, and indefensible. Uh, and so going into that interview, I went in with the idea that, uh, you know, he's going to try to put a nice face on racism. And my job was to not give him that lane, to take that away from him, to, to constantly, you know, make him deal with the history of America and what he's doing in the context and all of that. Um, and I thought the best way to do that was to not be the angry black man. Um, because the angry black man, they know how to spin that and handle that. What they have a harder time understanding is the intelligent black man. Um, like I'm not threatened by anything that he had to say. Uh, so therefore I allowed him to say what he had to say because I'm not scared or threatened by it. Um, and, and in that, like, that's where I was trying to show my strength is that, like, you, you can say all, this, all these things and I'm going to challenge you every step of the way, but you don't scare me. Um, and so, yeah, like there, there were moments in those conversations where I got a little heated, but on a whole, him and I, um, you know, I just felt like his position is morally reprehensible and my job was just to reveal that.
0: How has your past with performance poetry and just confronting real life things um, influence the types of people that you take on on the show and the types of news that you report?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that um, performance poetry uh, gave me an idea about storytelling, how to do it uh, in a really... uh, quick way. Um, like, you know, in performance poetry, when I was doing slams, like you had to figure out how to tell a story in three minutes. Um, you had to figure out how to capture an audience. Um, and so all of that type of stuff is what I use when I'm thinking about like the type of work that we're doing on radio. We have a limited amount of time to, to grab people. So we need to open in a way that really engages them. Um, you know, we, uh, uh, the language that you use on on radio as, as as and as spoken word or whatever. like we really spend our time here at reveal, like checking our writing, like making sure that we are like really um, trying to stay away from cliches, build pictures. Um, you know people are hearing this stuff and you you really, your audio can be the most visual um, of all art forms because you know when you're doing a podcast you're like talking directly into somebody's ear um and 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 it's a a very personal thing and with that power if you use the language correctly you can build scenes and create like whole visions in somebody's mind and so we're always thinking about that type of stuff and we definitely you know when I was doing a lot of spoken word stuff we I was definitely doing that like my idea was like I wanted to bring you into that place with that character whatever I was doing so that you felt uh that you were on a journey with me throughout the poem. Um, So that's kind of the, uh, you know, what I take from spoken word and bring into this work.
0: Hmm. Um, So we have a youth summer reporting institute, and seven of our youth reporters are in the studio today. They're all working on their first radio story. So do you have any advice for them about creating and finding a focus or just anything dealing with radio?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the number one thing that a young radio producer needs to learn and understand is um, listening intently is is the number one job. Um, I think that if you can listen to people, just really, like, stop your wheels from turning, just sink in and listen to what they have to say um, and really try to understand it. Um, even if someone is saying something that doesn't really uh, agree with your personal politics or your... your your concept of yourself, like, I think that it's important to just stop and really listen. And then once you've listened and, and really, like, tried to understand it, then ask follow-up questions to begin to, like, really fill it out and then keep moving in, in that direction. But I think that it's really uh, an important skill to understand of, like, how to, like, be an active listener. Um uh, gosh, I can't. Oh, Dave say Dave say says that uh, listening is an act of love, and I, and I agree wholeheartedly. And I think that, you know, going into this work, um, you got to go in with a whole lot of love in your heart, because if you don't, like, it'll make you really cynical really quickly. So go in with love, listen to people, uh, try to empathize with people, uh, really understand uh, what, um, what the subject is, is, is saying. You put yourself in their shoes and ask follow-up questions for clarity.
0: One of the youth reporters had a question. Um, when trying to do non-biased investigative reporting, how do you get past um, your own personal emotions?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's just a job, right? I mean, like your, your, your job is to take your own personal beliefs, fold them up and put them aside. You know, what I mean, it's just a job. It's what you do. Um it doesn't mean that those personal beliefs can't inform some of the questions that you have but it does mean that like you can't uh allow them to uh taint whatever it is that you're you're trying to to talk to people about. Um on the flip side you know you know like in America right now we're having a lot of conversations about race. Um and I think it's interesting that uh what tends to happen or what people believe is that A white interviewer can do a conversation about race and not be biased about it, Um, but a black person can't. And I think that that is like utter nonsense. I think that race in America uh, is complicated and... No matter who you are, whether you're white or black, it, it, it's hard to be uh, impartial with that subject. Um, so I think that, you know, in those places, you have to bring yourself to it in the questions that you're asking. But you also need to give the person, you know, a fair shake. Like Richard Spencer is a perfect example. Um, you know, obviously, like, I disagree with everything he had to say. Like, I, I thought that it was, you know, morally reprehensible. But... Um, I also let him have his say and I constantly pushed him and pushed him and pushed him because uh, I felt like his, because I felt like his line of thinking was so wrong. Like I wanted to explore that and understand it. Um, I just did a big interview. It'll come out next Wednesday with uh, one of Trump's advisors. And it was the same thing, you know, him and I like uh, it was felt like a boxing match. We kept going round for round Mm. and I would ask and, and push and pull and just try to really like understand his world. Um, But do it respectfully. And, um, you know, because I the thing that like I I see in our media now, the thing that I don't like about, say, uh, cable news is that cable news is just people hollering at each other and nobody really gets anywhere. Nothing comes out of it. And I would much rather have a conversation with somebody that like actually moves us forward somehow. I I, I don't think that hollering at each other does.
0: Okay, so thank you so much for your time. And I just want to ask, before you go, could you do a poem for us?
2: Sure, why not? I am waiting for Venus Williams to save me. Like some great Masai Amazon warrior, stepping out of jungle foliage onto green open fields outlined in white with sword in hand prepared to do battle, spitting words of flame like, Mm-mm. I didn't come to play good tennis. I came to win. Braids, singing like Medusa's hair, flailing against gravity as tennis racket hits full moon across net. And I'm stretched back 20 years to an uncoordinated, painfully skinny kid holding a tennis racket in hand, sweat saturating the grip as the coach on the other side of the court hollers, You're playing like a girl, Alfie! That's when I feel her slender fingers wrap around my shoulder and gently push me aside. Eyes of marble and onyx stare down a little man across the net and serve. A man coming at ya. Zooming at a hundred miles an hour, man, you better hit or get hit. And he decides to get hit. Bam! And I'm standing on the sidelines screaming, fifty love! And don't know what the hell I'm talking about as the goddess of love, stretch her statuesque arms in the air and serve and serve and serve, calling forth hailstones shaped like tennis balls to rain from the sky, pounding into his premature balding head while he's screaming at the top of his lungs, Stop! 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 And when she does, she stands there rocking back and forth, left to right, waiting for a volley that would never come. And I'm standing over the bully coach talking about, "Mm mm-hmm, who's playing like a girl now, huh? Who's playing like a girl now? What? And when I turn around, she is gone that second planet from the star we know so well flung back into the cosmos where she belongs leaving me to fast forward 20 years back to the future to a man slightly more comfortable with his height weight and lack of athleticism watching her on the television screen as my daughter crawls on the floor before me making me think of her every time venus whacks another ball into the stratosphere i'm caught up with the fact that my daughter will face obstacles i never had to see just because of her sex At that moment, at that instant, overcome by memories of an event that never even happened, I I, want to grab my daughter in my arms and tell her, Baby, these flawed genes I passed down to you may not be the stuff of Venus Williams and Mia Hamm. You may not write novels like Edwidge Dandycat or Joyce Carol Oates. You may never see the moon so close that you can touch it, that you can taste it like Mae Jameson. But wherever your talents lie, it will be beautiful. And you will be beautiful for who you are, weaknesses, strength, and all. And if they ever tell you, baby, you're playing like a girl, be proud and know that you will win like a woman.
0: Yes, thank you. Al, thank you again for your time and coming on the show. We really appreciate it.
2: Thank you. It was glad to be here.
0: My Troy Martin and for this portion of the WUNC Youth Podcast we have three of our youth reporters India Purdy, Anthony Howard, and Lulu Bada. How are y'all doing today? Pretty well. I'm, I'm doing, doing good. good. How are you? I'm great thanks for asking. So you guys just heard the outlets and interview and I was wondering just your general thoughts about what you heard about the connection between poetry and news. Lulu you can start.
3: So I liked what he said about um, the difference between a good reporter and a good poet. He said something along the lines of a good reporter doesn't make the story about them, but a poet makes themselves a part of the story. And I think that's really important to sort of understanding the differences between the two and then how they can work so beautifully together.
0: I like what he said about trying to attempt to understand the person because you don't really know who is attempting or listening to your story. So you could be listening to somebody that agrees with the person you're interviewing or somebody that has personal feelings with you or neither. So I like that.
1: I thought what was really interesting about what he was talking about um, when he said poetry was personal, it was um, coming from a more personal level than journalism when journalism, you're just excluding yourself from the story and you're more focused on the interviewee. And so it was really cool to just hear him say poetry is from his personal feelings. And then when he does his journalism or his stories, it comes from just him simply reporting about other people's lives.
0: Right. Right. Um, I think all of y'all are very interesting in your responses. But, um, and it's kind of making me think about the question that I asked Al because it seems like we're getting first account news in all of these stories, you know what I'm saying? So I wanted to know, do you think there's a way to get news from poetry and art? India, you can start. Is share a way to get it?
3: poetry and art. um
0: yes, I believe the way that Al was going about it, he said he was, just, you know, trying to get it from a different perspective and being unbiased about it and all. That's a way to get it from it. You know, just telling it the story and let alone the story itself, not your part in the story, but just allowing the story to be and telling it from a broad perspective. That's a good way to do it. Mm. What about y'all?
1: I think that you can definitely get news in poetry. You can get news about somebody's feelings, how they're feeling, like if they're feeling sad or happy you can be able to tell that in their poetry based off the words that they use and the tone of their voice and you can also get news about their community or the issues that they face that way that hopefully by them exposing you to their work of art you can then find it in your heart to do something in the community that in the community that you may live with them or if you live you know what i'm saying like you can find a place in your heart to actually help them out in their community and hopefully spark change.
3: I would agree. There's a poetry slam network called Button Up Poetry that has a lot of really good poets um, that speak about issues that are relevant to them, whether it be mental illness, race issues, social issues, and I think I use that a lot as a platform to understand some issues that I may not know about personally, and that's sort of how I get my information about some social issues that I can't necessarily empathize with because I'm not in it, but that I can empathize with because I've seen somebody display all of that Mm -hmm. out in a way that I can receive it and understand it.
0: Right. I feel like the same thing is kind of happening with the radio stories that we're encouraging you guys to do by taking these micro situations and relating them to the bigger picture. I feel like um, poetry gives you the context of what the individual is dealing with and how it relates to, you know, the huge policies changing and people getting defunded and blah, 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 all of that stuff. You're able to hear it from the first person account. And I feel like that's you all's responsibility as WNC youth reporters to share these stories that, you know, may just happen in open mics, you know, that no, normal people would not hear.
3: Before we go, Kamaya, can you please do a poem
0: for us? Yes, of course I'll do a poem for y'all. Okay. So just a little background about the story. Um, Real quick, I used to be very, um, I guess, poor. Yeah, I used to be poor, and um, it really affected my life in Atlanta, and that's why I had to move up here during my junior year of high school. And so being a part of Sacrificial Poets, that really helped me graduate and continue through life, because after after that, I was kind of just, like, done. I don't want to go to college anymore. I just kind of want to make money and get back down to Atlanta. So that was kind of my saving grace, and it allowed me to— Express a lot of pent-up emotions that I do not think anybody would be able to relate with. So, this is my poem called The Inbetweeners, and it's kind of long, David, so, okay. <clears throat> I guess we will spend Thanksgiving in the donation line again. Hoping that all the good turkeys aren't gone, we are in this donation line again. I'm looking down, Pride and shame battle in background. You can see war travel up my spine into slowly hunching shoulders, into bags under eyes, searching frantically for escape. Jordan's jump man catches my eye, air maxes then forces, and I'm standing here in air walks with holes, not so I can feel the breeze on my toes, but because we can't afford new shoes right now. My mom's teaching salary can't afford life right now. They say, don't focus on the present. This situation will pass. That abuse looks like bruises and concussions, not financial manipulation, not carving words into knives to skin self-esteem off bones, not leaving us in donation lines with our money tight. It's just the tunnel before the light, but that light looks a lot like December. Ramen noodles and oatmeal is what we'll have for dinner. Tonight, we burn through paychecks like they've been soaked in gasoline written to us with the intent to ignite. The smoke becomes heavy and it gets hard. Holding your breath until the end of the month, pushing your lungs to limits, you learn to cherish the moments when financial asphyxiation is relieved and you can finally exhale and excel. To section eight where breaths of fresh air are delivered in packages by your favorite unsanctified savior, Uncle Sam. The welfare office looked a lot like the Garden of Eden. Walking into welfare proud because it's hard to think about shame when your belly is empty. A single mother feeding a family of five has never been easy, but today we found the promised land, overflowing with milk, honey, chicken wings, and Cheetos. The woman slumped her shoulders and sighed, a breath I couldn't afford to take. I'm sorry, ma'am. You make too much money to qualify. You see, your family stands on a fragile foundation that the government is ready to liquidate, redistribute your demise into the pockets of more worthy Americans. And then reality hit like first earthquake to set off Pangea. We slip through cracks, compact between rock and hard place, and the light at the end of the tunnel gets dimmer. This is the lower middle class. But resilience perseveres through defeat. We paint our stories on these lightless tunnel walls. Cautionary tales and ones of victory with bare hands. We carve windows and doors out of concrete. So when the wind blows through the bowels of our struggle, you will hear our triumph. From the bowels of the tunnels you thought you buried us in, stare into our eyes. Broken but will survive and I still don't understand. How you feel comfortable letting us live in limbo. Forever falling but making just enough to not hit the ground. Yes. Yeah. I was at a tumultuous part. <laughs> and I, yes. That's my poem. That, I guess that is the reason why I feel like poetry and news connect so much because you never really hear about the lower middle class people and a lot of people are getting pushed into that category. And, you know, we're kind of looked over because it's like you got enough money to make it, but if you're not budgeting right and you don't have a, a second spouse like my mom didn't have, it's very, very, very hard. And so those stories that kind of slide by that you don't really care about poetry and radio, allow you to express thoroughly. This has been the WNC Youth Podcast. I'm Kamaya Truett-Martin. Thank you for listening.